episode 157 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with my band of merry men and women. First up, Melissa Kavanaugh. Howdy ho! And Pete DeMeo. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And Philip Farisco. Welcome back, all you honorary fueligans. Hey Phil, you had an accident this morning. I did. I did not secure the lid on my steaming hot cup of coffee and ended up burning my hand and my leg. I would say that was irresponsible drinkage. <laughs> and a waste of coffee. That's the yeah. worst part. That was the bummer. Those K-cups aren't cheap. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the scolding would, would be the bummer more than the yeah. dollar that you spent on a K-cup. It sucked. <sighs> Well, what doesn't suck is this podcast. We're going to have a packed full episode today. Hopefully it doesn't suck. We'll see. You be the you be the judge. Uh, Pete, this is one of your episodes. You want to set it up for us? Yeah, this is a this is a kind of a fun episode is what I would call. But for uh Fortune magazine put out a basically a survey to the Fortune 500 list of CEOs asking them their thoughts on the pandemic and what's going to happen coming out of the pandemic. Not related to the tourism space, but what we want to do is go through this infographic and look at each of the question questions asked, pull the key feet or kind of the I guess, salient information out of it and kind of do a hotel spin and see how it's going to impact all of us. Yeah, so the Fortune 500 CEO. So I would say... You're not necessarily the smartest, necessarily, people in the world, but certainly some of the most informed people, right? And probably smartest, too. But these are people that have information, and they're making you know, their best predictions based on the information we have. So this is people from places like Amazon and Google and Apple and Microsoft and you know, a lot of non-tech companies, too, that just do really well. So... You know, you can take this with a grain of salt, but I would recommend that you don't. You take it with a whole ton of salt and a whole ton of pepper and a whole lot of pizza and dip and everything else that you want to eat because buckle up. This is going to be interesting. It's, it's going to be a little depressing, but also a little hopeful. There's a lot going on here that we're going to try to unpack in the fuel style. Exactly. And before we get started, I do want to say I'm lonely, guys. I'm I'm sitting here on my Todd, on my little onsome in the office with the with the proper equipment. I'm sitting here looking at three empty microphones. So, yearning for the day that you guys come back in, and we can. I am we could anxiously awaiting for sound quality to come back. I didn't realize just really how crappy I sound remotely. So I would like to get back into the office. Yeah, and and just same. Remind everyone that. When we do get back into the office finally together, it doesn't mean the quality of the content's going to improve, just this quality of sound. So <laughs> you're stuck with us. So let's let's move into our regular featured segment, shall we? We got we got the full gamut today. We got some news aroos. We got some um, some stand of the weeks. So we got a packed show. So let's jump right in with the news aroos. All right. Well, the good news is, is with hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news a ruse. Oh, good. Pete, back to the OG. Love it. Yeah, it's back to the original good one. Uh, anyway, this comes from Travel Pulse, 
And the headline is Walt Disney World Resort reopens with fun and safety in mind. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, Disney will have already reopened. They're scheduled to reopen Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom on July 11th for us right now. That's tomorrow. By the time you're listening to this, it's a couple days ago. And Epcot is opening on July 15th. So everyone's going to be standing back and watching what happens because this is this is the big reopening. So depending on what happens here is really going to determine what other parks, what other destinations and kind of what the rest of the world decides to do in terms of massive gatherings of people. And, and what governments decide to do in terms of easing up on restrictions or, or clamping down again. This, this, is, this is a big deal. Let me ask you this, guys. Have you heard anything from Disney and in the media about the safety protocols Disney's putting in place? No. No. Really? No. You haven't heard that they're going to do mandatory temperature checks? Yeah, we talked about that on the last podcast. Oh, we did talk about that. Sorry. Right. So have you heard that they're going to be requiring face masks? I did not hear that. No, they are, right? So you're not helping my argument that I'm about to make, but I'm going to make it anyway. I'm going to pretend like you agreed with me. I could re-record that whole segment, but I'm not. So what they're doing is a really good job of setting expectations. They're telling people ahead of time, here's what to expect when you come. You are going to be required to do these things, and it is inconvenient, and you may not agree with it, but guess what? We're a private business, and it's it's what we want to happen. And if you don't like it, don't come to Disney. That's what they're saying. And they're saying that loud to everyone. And will there be some challenges? Sure. But there won't be the mass hysteria that we're beginning to see where places have opened up and people are coming and being reckless and then going back and whining in their hometown that they caught COVID in that destination. And then other state governors are coming out and saying, oh, you can't go to that place because that place spreads COVID. Well, the reality is places don't spread COVID. People spread COVID and people acting irresponsibly spread COVID. So I think Disney is doing a stellar job of setting expectations in ensuring that they're mitigating as much risk as they can, which to, to me is something the hospitality industry at whole is not doing a good job of. If you look at a lot of these photos, people aren't enforcing social distancing. They're not enforcing responsible travel. And so now we've got this situation where the mainstream media is spreading propaganda that travel is dangerous. And, and I just fundamentally disagree with that statement. I think travel inherently has, has isn't dangerous or not dangerous. People and their behavior is inherently risky or unrisky, right? So... We've got to, as an industry, come together and start changing the narrative, controlling the narrative and saying, we reject this mainstream media nonsense and, and we encourage people to travel. We encourage families to travel and to do so in a way that is going to mitigate their risk. Because if, if you're living in your hometown now and you're going to the grocery store and you're maybe eating out at a restaurant or ordering takeout, you can do those same things in a hotel with no additional risk if you behave responsibly. You can go sit on a beach. You can go sit in a mountain top. You can do these things. Travel isn't dangerous. People's behavior is dangerous. And I think what you hit on there is that as a industry and as an individual hotelier, you have to own it because yep. if you really don't lean into 
travel safe, and this is what we're doing. We're making you wear, you have to wear masks, you have to socially distance, and we're actually going to enforce those requests that we're making around the pool or around the amusement park. Because if you do that, then like you said, you're able to control the narrative. And right now that the biggest problem that we have is, you know, a good example is we have clients who are sending out emails saying, hey, come visit. And they're getting nasty emails back to the hotel saying, how dare you try to convince people to travel to Myrtle Beach or wherever it might be? It's not safe. And then the hotels having to go back out and say, no, it is safe. We're doing this, this and this because they're kind of tiptoeing around the issue. I think you kind of have to dive into it and say, hey, hit it right on. The, yeah, you got to go straight for the jugular on this yeah. because there's, there's this information war going on. In hospitality is losing that war right now, and and we're gonna make a bad situation a whole lot worse for a lot of destinations if we allow this misinformation to continue to propagate in the mainstream media. USA Today put out um, an article this week which categorically said, and it was an opinion piece stated as fact: traveling is dangerous, and it's it's that's that's a really in and of itself is a dangerous message to be spreading because it's going to impact business tremendously. And it's already gotten, we, we've we seen in our sentiment study, it's affecting how people are making decisions. The reality hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is information or misinformation. And it's really frustrating as someone that's, you know, a proponent of the hospitality industry. But we can help ourselves by educating people by putting out messaging that is travel responsibly and here's how to do that and sending pre-arrival messages that says we expect this behavior when you're on property and if you don't want to behave this way i don't want you at my property that like we need to be that harsh about it obviously you'd spin it better but that needs to be the message amen so this leads into our stat of the week melissa because i'm going to rant a little bit more about that oh so Excellent. let's do our stat of the week. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> we, I, we have some bad news about the stat of the week, everybody. It looks like the person who published the robot soundtrack that we use has taken that file off YouTube. Well, you know what? We must have made it too popular. You know, We were probably viewing it too often, yeah. They were probably making too much so, money. It's like the guy that did Flappy Birds. He didn't want to make that much money. Yeah. Um, so here is, I have one sound. I don't know what it's going to be. Let's see. I just found another sound effect. So let's just give it a shot. Here we go. <laughs> it's about five seconds too long. Yeah, um, I thought it would end sometime. But, it's just but you know one what? Third. Through the magic of recording, we have the old one recorded several times. So we could we could create our own new YouTube link to the beep boops perfect or I love it or melissa could have a ah oh, suddenly it all comes clear to me melissa reported the video i did to get removed <laughs> so she could sing the jingle you found me out because <laughs> i just want to say start of the week start of the week start of the week okay oh. one second hang on melissa <laughs> melissa yeah. There's no reason that you can't play that beep boop on the clarinet. Zero reason. Right. <laughs> okay. Make it happen. <laughs> Just do it one time, store or record it, and then we'll have that for perpetuity. Forever. Yeah. Can the clarinet make those notes? Uh, sure. 
There you go. I, I like your confidence. It nice. won't sound like that, but sure, I can make those notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do, anywho. Do we have a stat? stat week. <laughs> For the stat of the week, can I just say that this stat of the week has made my day because today I love my job. And I will tell you why I love my job today so much is that last week when I was on the This Week in Hospitality show with Lauren, I said the following words about masks. I said for every person who would not travel because a mask ordinance is in place in the travel destination, new people would come because there was a mask ordinance at the destination. And the stat of the week says that. So we asked in our recent consumer sentiment study, if your desired destination implements a mandatory mask ordinance, how will this impact your travel plans? 45% said they would not be changed in their decision, but the remainder are exactly split in half between traveling more to the destination versus I would be less likely to travel there. Yeah, it, it really does show how polarized this this specific topic is right now, which is sad because it's become politicized. But here's the thing. There's two potential futures. And regardless of your political persuasion, regardless of what you personally think about wearing masks or not, if you as a hotelier don't embrace mask wearing, then you're going to go down the following path. People are going to come to your property they're going to not wear a mask. They're going to not socially distance. Your destination or your property is going to get called out and, and singled out as something or somewhere that is spreading COVID and you are going to lose your business. You, long term, that is going to have a detrimental effect because either government's going to set it, stand, step in and, and put big restrictions in place that are going to limit business or you're going to have a PR nightmare like we're seeing in South Carolina and Florida and Arizona right now. And people are going to choose not to come because the, the mainstream media is telling everyone that those places are dangerous. So that's scenario one where you just let people do their thing and freedom of expression and all this thing, right? The other is you actually step up and say, my job as a hotelier is to protect my guests and my staff. And my job is to make sure the majority of people have a good time. And just like you would enforce um, your rules about noise violations, just like you would make people wear appropriate clothing, just like you would deal with any situation with common sense and say, this is better for the majority of people if we enforce this in a hospitable way, you have to treat masks that way regardless of your political persuasion, regardless of what you personally think about it. Because that way, you will build confidence in consumers. You will get more people starting to travel. You will change the mainstream media's narrative, and, and tourism will come back quicker. So you as an industry have a choice, and we as an industry need to come together and embrace the right choice there, which is let's enforce social distancing, let's enforce mask wearing, let's do everything we can to mitigate the risk of both the travelers and our staff, and let's start changing the narrative that's going on in the media. The end. That was a print. That was. Great rant, Stoyer. And, and like I said last time, you know, my personal opinion about masks has, has changed a little bit over time. I, I was somewhat more on the libertarian side of no one should tell me what to do, even though people tell me what to do every time I have to wear pants when I leave the house, for example. Um, the government tells me I have to do that, and, and I do that willingly. 
I've since come after reading and educating myself versus just spouting off a bunch of rhetoric. I've read about potential risk of spreading the disease from me to other people. And so for that reason, I'm like, I don't mind wearing a mask. It doesn't hurt me. And it could potentially prevent me from spreading it to someone else. So for that reason, and for respect of other people, I'm going to wear a mask. So, but that doesn't matter what my opinion is. The, the fact of the matter is if hoteliers don't enforce it, we're going to be in a big mess. It's going to be a lot longer and a lot more painful than anyone was projecting it to be. Well, take a look at the infographic I put in the show notes. I think this is a, a perfect example of why you should wear a mask. And uh, it's the peeing example. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the urine This is the best test. one. Yeah. I, I love this one where it says if someone's running around naked and peeing, then everybody gets wet. If someone's running around peeing, but you put pants on, you still get wet, but less so. If the person running around peeing has pants on, only they're getting wet. And <laughs> the graphic is hilarious. So that's something I think we should all consider. And, yeah. and keep in mind, though, as a hotel, like you said, the goal is to make your guests feel comfortable and safe. And this is a reasonable thing to ask somebody to do is saying, if you want to come to your property, understand that this is one of the rules of our property, like anything else. And I think everybody will be fine. They know that going in advance. Don't surprise them with it. Be upfront about it. Yeah, that's the thing. Setting expectations. Because one of the pushbacks to that is, well, I don't want a confrontation and I want to be unhospitable and I don't want to get bad reviews, right? Well, set the expectation up front during the booking process. Because like Melissa said from the stat, for every person that will not stay with you because there's a mask rule, there's at least one person that will stay with you because you have a mask rule. So you're just, you're just trading. It's just like smoking, right? You wouldn't go back now and say, everyone can smoke anywhere in my hotel. You have designated spots. Maybe it's a no smoking zone completely because you've realized over time, that's the best long-term interest. Now you could decide, ah, screw that. I'm going to go the other way and I'm going to carve out a niche. And if every other hotel in my in my area is non-smoking, I'm going to become a smoking hotel. That's your prerogative. That's your business decision. But as an industry, the majority of hotels need to embrace just common sense approach to travel. We need to get people off of this travel is dangerous narrative. And we need to get people saying responsible travel is safe. That's the message that needs to be portrayed. And every single one of you listening to this has a part to play in that. You need to be spouting this throughout your property, to all your guests, to every contact you have in and out of the industry. Because until we have a majority of people saying responsible travel is safe, we're going to be hurting as an industry. So we, we need to get out there, mobilize today, and do this. There you have it. So, so that's our opinion. You guys want to hear what the Fortune 500 CEOs are thinking? Yeah, what do they know? Nah, I don't know. Let's see. But uh, yeah, so, so Fortune 500, or should I say Fortune put out a survey they actually put it back out a, a month or two ago but they just republished it in the june and july edition of the magazine and really cool infographic there's going to be a link to that in the show notes for everyone to see and follow along with but i took five items that are the big takeaways from that infographic and let's talk about kind of how they apply to the hotel space let's all right so the first big takeaway we have from this infographic is number one one CEOs are expecting this recovery to take a while. We're seeing from based on this data, 52% expect the full recovery won't take place until the first quarter 
of 2022, almost two years away. Another 25% are saying it's actually going to be in 2023 when the full recovery takes place. Now, what I thought was really interesting about this is, one, it's a, a long-term thing. They're saying, you know, batten down the hatches. You better plan on a three-year downturn and adapt your marketing as such. But the other thing I thought was really interesting was when we looked at our 2020 COVID hotelier sentiment study, we saw a very different result. I think the hoteliers are a lot more optimistic, and that might be to their detriment. You know, that's that becomes the question. What we found was 41 per, were per, 41% were expecting their business to recover within 12 months, and only 14% were expecting greater than two years. So that's a real marked difference from the hoteliers we surveyed to the Fortune 500 CEOs. And, and some of that might be, you know, we're talking about the Fortune 500 CEOs and we're, we're spanning industries and the hotelier sentiment study was one industry, but it just so happens that our one industry hap- was one of the, was affected more than many others, I would say. Yes. Uh, and, and being that way, I think that having that optimism you know, in, in part is good because that means that, you know, maybe they're going to take Stuart's point and everyone's got to play their part and talk about how travel is safe. And if everyone jumps on board, maybe we can recover quicker. Um, but, you know, it's it's definitely uh, I think I think this is a little skewed just because we're talking about all industries versus one industry. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing that skews this, too, though, is the timing. Right. Because the fortune I'm not sure when they surveyed these people, but I think it was within the last month. Our original data for the hotelier sentiment study was, we haven't been doing that every two weeks like we did the consumer sentiment study. The, the hotelier one was commissioned like two, three months ago now. Like it's, it's This, a, is, this is, looks like May data. Okay. And now it was probably end of April, I would guess, if I had to look back. Maybe beginning of May. But I, I certainly think from my perspective, my outlook has changed. You know, I think early on I was thinking this would be a few months and then maybe through the end of the year. And now if you ask me, I'm probably thinking it's going to be at least 20, end of 2021 before we're in, in a really strong position again as an industry. So I think timing could be playing a part too. Yeah, and I, I, what I would be looking at here is even if you're looking at the situation with rose-colored glasses and say this isn't going to take as long as we think it is, plan on the worst-case scenario so that – you have your assets in place to withstand what could be a very long-term or long downturn in you know, the hotel your space. Yeah. If, if you're not in a position to operate profitably at the current level of occupancy, you need to figure out what, what to do if this is prolonged. If this does last another 12 months in the current situation, what are you going to do? How are you going to evolve your business, either reduce cost find new revenue streams to survive. Because I think a lot of people early on were like, we just got to batten our hatches and weather the storm and then we'll come back and, and we'll rebuild. But I think more and more people are beginning to swing around and say, well, this this quote unquote new normal may last a while until we get to the next new normal. So how, how do I how do I not just survive in this, but, but how do I continue to survive through this indefinitely? And that, that's what you need to be planning for mm-hmm. because we don't know when it's going to stop. And, and, you know, honestly, that takes us right to the big takeaway number two. Two, 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 two. 
And the question was, when will business travel at your company return to the level it was before the pandemic? And the overwhelming answer is never. So yes, some of the responses were Q1 2021, some were 22, some 23, but over 50% said that business travel will never return to the way it was before. And everyone relies at some point on business travel at their hotel and we all need to take that to heart and think about how we are going to adapt. Yeah, especially if you're in inner city, you know, if you're, you're sitting in New York or somewhere like that right now, and in or Atlanta, in, in business is a business travel is a large segment of yours. You've got to you've got to wake up and say, okay, let's assume that that's significantly reduced for the foreseeable future or indefinitely. What do I do? How do I adjust to this? Can can I operate at a consistently lower occupancy? Or do I need to change my value proposition so that I can appeal to a different type of audience? Yeah. And then one other thing to consider as well is, you know, so you have the CEOs of the top country companies in the country are all saying it's never going to return to normal. Is that a self-fulfilling prophecy? If the CEO says we're not going to travel like we did in the past, well, that kind of means travel is not going to return to like it was in the past, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is anybody surprised by either how high or how low that never number is? I I was a little surprised that it was that high. Um, It, it it, to me was, was just a little shocking. I don't know if it's, if it's fear or an understanding that you don't need to. I Um, think it's the latter personally. So that's why I was surprised that it was only 51% that said never. I thought it would be a little higher than that, honestly. Yeah, and I, I think some are hedging. You know, never is a very long time. So, sure. So, so some are probably hedging. I think I think one of the rea- realities that's coming out of this is that a lot of big companies especially had a lot of bloat, right? They, they were wasting a lot of money on, on employees. You know, our, our um, unemployment rate was so low here in the U.S., and then when you look at places, you know, like the brands that are laying off thousands of people and continuing to operate, well, sure, a good number of those people were doing a, a very valuable job. But there's probably a percentage of those that they're, they're looking at now saying, do we really need to bring those positions back? So I think I think that's going to be part of it is this, this mentality of we, we need to do more with less for this foreseeable future, because now we've got to start really thinking about, well, what if there's a resurgence? What if something else happens down the road? We, we need to have a buffer. So I think a lot of these big companies are going to be trying to look to store some money, rainy day funds, and they're going to have to operate a little more profitably for a while in order to, to gain that war chest so that if something else happens again, they're in a, a little stronger position. Mm-hmm. But I don't see people getting hired back fully for two or three years and and i don't see people traveling as much as they were for at least two or three years i mean just look at our company you know like ben and i were probably traveling at least once or twice a month you know staying in hotels every time and i haven't since March. i think you and me pete were the last two to travel in the company back Mm -hmm. in mid-march i don't you caused all of this well travel california life has never been the same travel's dangerous (laughs) <laughs> stop um but no uh, you know i don't see myself tra- doing a business tra- travel again this year probably you know may- maybe one or two but it's not going to be till october 
And I was looking at it from from the perspective of, you know, one of the things that I would travel for is is going to to a conference and you know meeting other other you know industry professionals, things like that. Well, all of these businesses who put on the conferences are now doing it virtually, and you sign up and you some paid, some free at this point, but we all realize that we don't necessarily need to travel and all be in the same room to get the information we came there for. So um, it's that's a part of business travel that may be significantly reduced. Yeah, and it's it's mm-hmm. definitely different, right? I, I definitely I've done a lot of virtual networking over the last few months, but it, it's you don't relationship build the same way you do in person. You know, looking someone in the eye or shaking a hand, but or bumping an elbow. But I think there, drink. there was there was a there was an oversaturation of conferences. I mean, even just looking at our industry, how many different people were putting on the same type of conference with the same type of content. I think I think we'll see a reduction in that for at least two or three years, which which has a knock-on effect, right? So this mm-hmm. is why we're trying to set expectations for everyone. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but we're not going to be bouncing back quickly. This is not going to be a, a V-shape or a U-shape or W-shape recovery. This is going to be spikes and troughs and everything in between. But on average, we're going to be lower than we were in, in, for for a good little while. And you've got to you've got to figure out how to operate in that or, or whether you can operate in that or whether you just need to pack up your bags and sell your property. You know, if you have real estate that someone's willing to buy, if you're, you're a property owner, maybe you need to evaluate that. And, and or, that may self-correct things because now you've got less inventory. And, and so the demand that does exist is, is going to go to the people that remain. No, I was thinking about it even from operational perspective where you have these you know, big ballrooms in your property that may or may not be used like they used to. Most likely they won't be used like, like you used to use them. So how are you going to repurpose that space to be some kind of revenue driver for you? I mean, exactly. I don't have an answer of what that is yet, but it's time to get creative. So on, on Lauren Gray's show earlier today, this week in hospitality marketing, he, he brought that very point up and he said, you know, one thing to consider, and it's just an idea, it would need to be scrutinized and it's fraught with challenges, but he said, you know, we're, we're looking at how do we get kids back to school? There's not enough space to spread kids out, but every town has hotels. Why not use these group spaces to, to spread kids out so that they can get an in-person education, right? It's not necessarily the greatest idea in the world, or maybe it is. I don't know. It would need to be, you know, people would need to go through and look at the logistics of that, like security and, and whatnot. But that's the kind of creative thinking every hotel needs to be having right now. Like who would benefit, who who else is having to change their behaviors that needs more space? And, and how can I match what I have with what the demand is? Every yeah, business has to be thinking it, that way. It doesn't necessarily, yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be it, it, anyone who needs space. Yep. So you have this giant room that you used to fill up, I don't know, however many times a year, but it, is, it, is it something that may even now receive government funding because you offered this type of space? So like you said, just get creative, see see what you can do with that that giant hey. room you have that's not going to be used. Hey, uh Top Golf's virtual golf systems are incredibly popular, and oh, yeah. that creates some space there too. I, I like uh, that idea. 
speed. So actually speaking of, you know, top golf and, you know, trying to reuse the space you have and try to re kind of reformat your business. Let's jump into the big takeaway. Number three. All right. So this question is, is at my company, the crisis will have what effect on the pace of technological transformation? And overwhelmingly, 75% of the CEOs are expecting significant tech transformations coming out of the pandemic. And one of the questions that kind of ties into this is one of those open-ended questions where they kind of form a word cloud. And one of the, the items on the word cloud was working from home works. And I think that's one of the big things that is going to be the, the permanent shift from, from this. We know that CEOs are saying that travel is going to be reduced from a business perspective. We know they're saying that they're going to be investing and pushing technological improvements and transformations at the property. So one of the questions that kind of comes out of that for me is, if the business traveler is in decline, how can we maximize the ability for the leisure travel to work from vacation? If they're working from home, you know, can they work from the patio of you know, a beautiful hotel overlooking the beach? Yeah, we were talking about this a lot this morning uh, and just came up with a few fun marketing taglines for it. But I think this is a, a great idea. I mean, though it kind of sucks for all of us, no one really wants to work while on vacation. But if people continue to work from home and more people continue to work from home, we all know what this cabin fever feels like and you want to get out there. So if you have to work, just to get out and see a different place, knowing that you are able to work from a hotel and there are things there will make your work life easier that you don't have to bring with you. I mean, I think that's that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, and that kind of leads to those that big empty ballroom that you have. Currently, your hotel's business center is, in most cases, it's a joke, right? They, right. Find, a little, they find a little closet that they stick a couple empty cubes in and an old printer it might make sense to say, let's invest a little bit in this and say, we'll probably have people working here for a couple hours in the morning before they go out and, and start their vacation day. But CEOs are definitely putting stock in the technological advancements. Stuart, I mean, what, what have you guys have we seen on from a new business perspective, even in terms of people really looking at software improvements? Yeah, I, th I think this, this whole situation, I don't know how revolutionary it is, but it, but I do think it's an accelerator of a lot of things that were already beginning to happen. A lot of trends in, in work at home, telecommuting is, is one of those for sure. Um, I, I don't anticipate us at Fuel be, having everyone working in the office consistently this year. I just don't think it'll happen. I, don't, I think there'll be different people coming in and out. Like some of us are already working in the office here and there with with you know, certain protocols. But I think the new normal is having people kind of come to the office sometimes and work from home sometimes. And and it works for people. And, it you know, we've been very productive and still helping our clients just as well as we, we did before. So I think th this has just accelerated a trend of people wanting that, that kind of mobility anyway. And what we're seeing from a hotel investment perspective is, you know, we, we've had this mobile app technology for two or three years now and, and not many people were investing in it. It was something that was kind of a luxury for higher end properties or more, more technically forward thinking properties. But this, this whole situation has accelerated the need for it because people want to, you know, reduce contact check-in or contactless check-in. So we, we've been, you know, 
fielding tons and tons of inquiries and making, we had a record month in June selling um, new units of our software in, in majority, oh no, not all of it was the was the mobile app. A lot of it was booking engine as well. But we sold a lot of mobile app technology last week because, or last month, because there's a demand for this type of technology, which just makes people's life safer and um, more convenient. So, yeah, I think I think we've we've seen a massive acceleration in technology in general. The other part of it is businesses, especially, are looking for ways to be more efficient. Right, they're they're trying to do more with less, and so, you know, no, it's the same in the hotel industry. Maybe I can not bring back that extra staff member and use technology as a more cost-effective way to to process check-ins or to you know, manage my CRM business. Maybe I can I can invest in like an AI-powered CRM that is going to help me automate messaging versus having to do it manually and and reduce staff costs that way. So. I think that's how you need to be looking at technology is not not necessarily, um, you know, just doing it for the sake of it, but how can it make me more efficient or more profitable? Um, but I, I also, having said that, I do think people are going to start looking at some of the technologies they had invested in that maybe aren't driving bottom line revenue and start um, uninvesting in some of that stuff. I do see people reprioritizing the tech stack and saying, ah, maybe I don't need these extra widgets from my website that aren't really doing a whole lot that I'm paying $400 a month for, you know, that, that I see people backing away from. Well, I mean, just look at, you know, internally at fuel who here misses, uh, we had, I know we had WebEx, we had let's meet and a few other meeting systems. And we've gone to basically Google meeting across the board and it's more convenient. We haven't missed anything in terms of what we're able to, how we can communicate with our internal team or clients, but we're able to save a ton. And I think that's like you said, those redundant systems or the systems that you just didn't have a financial need to kill at the time. Now it's becoming more evident than ever. I don't remember who said it and maybe it's, it's new, but COVID is killing the things that are already dying. And one of those is, is the waste in the industry or software that doesn't work anymore or, you know, even hotels that don't serve their guests anymore. So I think yeah. it's something to consider. It's an accelerator Jeez. in both ways, right? It, it, it will bring forward new, better things quicker and it will kill off the old antiquated things quicker as well. Mm-hmm. That that is so dark, but it's so true, right? <laughs> yep. So, well, hey, speaking of change, you guys want to jump into the takeaway number four? Okay. All right. So this question is: After the pandemic passes, how will the world have changed? So this is a this is a, a big multi you know, question that they talk about business travel, nationalism, and whatever else it might be. And I'll let you guys read the full information in the infographic specifically. But two of the key takeaways that I took were hoteliers are going to need to develop strategies to adapt to fewer business travelers because all of the CEOs on a scale of strongly agree to strongly disagree Everybody was on the camp of business travel will become less frequent. Most of them, about 30% was in agree and almost 60% was in 
I'm sorry, would strongly disagree. And then about 60% words then just agree. So that's going to be happening. And how we as hoteliers adapt to the new market and trying to do everything we can to keep the hotel, the business travelers that we do have, because it's going to be a smaller pond for sure. And then the second one is at least what I took out of it, because the rest of the questions were trust in government is going to decline. Trust in capitalism is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, nationalism will rise. But basically what it says is trust is going to become increasingly important. And as hoteliers, trust has always been one of the most important things that we can deliver to our guests. You, They're trusting us with a vacation, with their security, with business, whatever it might be. Making sure that one, we just really hit home that you can trust us. We're going to be fair. We're going to be good stewards of your vacation or whatever it might be. And, uh, and go from there. Yeah, and, and trust has always been implied in hospitality, right? One of the one of the biggest motivators is is safety, and and we trust that a hotel is going to keep us safe. And you know what that means has changed, but the the impact of it hasn't. So this is why you know, we've done a lot of talking on this podcast. We've done a lot of webinars and blogs recently about reassurance and the importance of showing people the things you're doing and reassuring them that you got them covered. And, and whether that's creating a cleaning theater that shows everyone how the sausage is made, or if it means telling everyone before they arrive that here are the steps you're taking to ensure their safety. Oh, and by the way, you require them to wear a mask in common areas. That Those are the things that you've got to really embrace because reassurance is going to be the biggest lever you can pull right now to change someone from maybe wanting to travel to wanting to travel or from maybe staying with you to definitely staying with you versus the competition. We see it again and again every single week in our sentiment studies, which we've been doing now for over 13 weeks. Every single time, what do people want to hear from hotels about? What are they doing to keep the guests safe? And that trust is a massive part of whether or not they're going to feel safe. Agreed. All right. Oh, and sorry, Earth. Nobody cares about the environment anymore. That's the other thing that they're the CEOs are saying. Of of all the things that we saw the CEOs strongly agree on, it's very clear that one of the questions was concern about was rank this on a scale of agree to disagree. Concern about the environment will fall as a result of the immediate focus of economic problems. And I think we're already seeing that take place as people are just the the, uh, the environmental concerns that people had aren't front and center anymore as they're dealing with the more immediate type issues. Yeah, if uh, someone's health is in in danger, they don't care about Earth's health at all. Yeah, so sorry, Earth. I mean, we've all had our priority shift, right? And and what I don't think people appreciated about the life we lived pre-COVID is that, especially in the developed world, in, in places like the U- United States, is we, we, are, we were living, everyone, right, regardless of who you are, you were living a better life than the majority of humanity ever has lived in the history of the world, right? If, if you go back, if you're a middle-class American today, you're living better than the kings and queens lived three or 400 years ago, right? We, we had a great life and it, it allowed us, it gave us the gift of being able to focus on 
really important things like the environment because we weren't in mortal danger every day necessarily. And I know I'm sounding a little tone deaf given everything that's going on, but I'm generalizing and I, I get that. But my point is something has come along and kicked us all in our butts, every single human, and, and it's changed everyone's priority. And, and there's things out there that still matter that we still need to be championing and we still need to be getting behind, no question. But unfortunately, because of this, environment is going to get pushed back. You know, It's going to get set back decades in terms of the progress we've made over the last year. And that, that may be one of the saddest parts of all of this. Well, there's some more Debbie Downer news for us. Thanks, Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us to number five, the big takeaway. Is this happy? Uh, you know, this is kind of a, just a point. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, so the question is, regarding the move towards stakeholder capitalism, I believe the pandemic will accelerate the move, accelerate the move, 48.2%, slow the move, 18 have no effect, 31 or other is 2.4%. This has kind of been like a, a topic that's been kind of rising to the top more and more is the difference between stakeholder capitalism and shareholder capitalism. And stakeholder capitalism where everyone is, you know, factored into the company's profitability from the employees to the environment to obviously the the shareholders themselves and the environment they they CEOs are seeing that this is going to become a more important factor in determining the overall performance of a company and looking beyond the, the political side of kind of whatever anybody thinks about this it is important to note that customers of our hotels are also going to be heading in that direction and as the hotels showing how we're keeping our staff safe, how we're going to be helping keep the environment around our hotel and how we're being good members of our community are going to be more and more important in a guest deciding to stay at your property or not. So something to something to consider. I was kind of surprised how that this question was in the the CEO survey. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see which CEOs fell on which side of the fence. But it's also interesting to see how diverse the opinions were. It seems very polarized. For the hospitality industry, if you're if you're a property or a management group that doesn't have your staff at the front of every decision you're making, right alongside your guest, you're going to be in trouble moving forward because you you are literally asking people to put their lives on the line to create joy and happiness in the form of a great experience for your hotel for your guests, right? So unless you are making decisions that are in their interest, in your guest and your staff's interest, you're you're not going to be in business long-term because you're not going to be able to hire the right people to be able to deliver that experience. So your, your, your investment in people and how you've treated them throughout COVID and how you treat them over the next few months is going to be a large part of whether you're successful or not. I, th I think we've been saying that very same sentiment for years uh, in the hospitality industry, but it is just amplified in such a different way today. Um, you know, when we talk about make sure you're taking care of the guest, make sure your staff is happy and want to take care of the guest. Those have those have been things we've been saying forever, but it's just a it means something different than it used to. Yeah. 
it, it's it's a fundamental pillar of the hospitality industry, but it definitely it takes on new connotations in the world that we live in. We're really facing it's it's just going to be a really weird situation because we're going to be facing record levels of unemployment, and yet getting the right staff to manage your business is going to be probably harder than ever. Because guess what? A lot of talented people have run from this industry screaming because they they see the devastation that's happening. There's people out there predicting that 8,000, at least 8,000 hotels are going to close their doors permanently as a re- result of COVID in, in North America or in the U.S. alone. So, um. I mean, this this there's no joke, right? This is a war, and this is this is one that's going to devastate our industry for years and years and years to come. Uh, but you can do your part by being a good human being, treating people the right way, you know, being smart and strategic about how you plan, and you know, preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. One one of the biggest insights that came out of our uh, hotel sentiment study was really interesting. We we asked a couple of questions that were sort of related, and then we cross referenced them. One was, how confident are you that your business is going to recover through this thing? And then another question was. Do you have a strategic plan in place for recovery? And if you look at the, I think there was like 20% or slightly less than 20% of people said they did not have a strategic plan in place for recovery. Every single one of those people had no confidence that they, that they were going to recover. But but everyone that had a strategic um, plan in place, they were skewed very high on the confidence level of recovery you got to have a plan in place you got to prepare for the worst hope for the best and, and hopefully listening to shows like this and going in and educating yourself on webinars and all the blog content that's out there we still have our COVID-19 resource section on on our website fueltravel.com that you can it, we're adding new stuff all the time so you got to continue to think forward and every decision you make right now first you know your priority is survival. You got to get through this. You got you got to be able to keep your doors open on the other side. That that's clearly your your main mandate right now. But every decision you make, you need to also be thinking about what is this going to do for me in the long term. Am I willing to sacrifice a little bit now to gain a lot long term? And when we go back to bring this full circle to questions about like face masks. Do I risk alienating that guest in front of me and getting a negative review today if it means I'm going to have more guests six months from now? Absolutely, yes, you should make that tough decision now that may hurt you in the short term because in the long term it's going to yield much greater results for you. And, and truthfully, I mean, you have to look at it like Melissa pointed out. There were as many people that said they would travel because of a mask mandate as said they wouldn't travel because of a mask mandate. So expect that in your reviews. If you have people who are mad in your reviews because you made them wear a mask, you're going to have equally as many people mad that you did not enforce your mask mandate, and you're going to get the same bad reviews. So pick your that's side, you, and your side should be the the side that is looking you know looking out for people's health well yeah that's why whatever decision you make and we'll leave that to the hotelier but lean into it regardless yep hey i'm the one who's requiring a mask or i'm the one who doesn't care do what you want on my property but have the conviction of standing behind the decision that you make yeah because if you don't what's going to happen is you're going to have 
a bunch of people that come that want to wear masks and a bunch that don't, and they're going to be fundamentally opposed to each other, and everyone's going to be unhappy. So you're going to get you're going to get torn up on social media. You're going to get torn up by your local government when they start putting in new regulations, and and it's going to kill your business. So you got to you got to. I don't want it to be sides. You got to pick a side, but your your side should always be what's what's right by my guests, the majority of my guests, and the type of guests that I want. Just like when you set a price point or you set a, a value proposition with your hotel, you're making a decision about the type of guests you want to walk into your room. Just like when you said I'm going to go all non-smoking, you made a decision about the type of people you want to come into your room. Who do you want to come and stay at your property right now? Make that decision, market to that audience, and then be prepared to live with the consequences. Amen. And definitely get creative with the use of your space, uh, whether it be ballrooms or the rooms themselves, on you know who you're trying to bring in in that sense as well. I feel like I've been really preachy in this episode. Maybe you, sitting, yeah. sitting back in this in the office in front of a proper microphone. I don't know what it is. I was kind of preachy in the last episode. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. Phil, your turn to preach next. Preach. Stuart, you win the plinth award. Thanks. Uh, that was what I was going for. Yeah. Uh, so next Phil, week episode is going to be why coffee, is... coffee cup manufacturers don't make lids fit tightly on their coffee cups. That'll be that'll be my sermon next week. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, this is this is a good episode. Thank you, Pete, for putting it together. Hopefully, we didn't run too many people off. Um, these are all our opinions. These, you know, you can have a different one, and we respect that too. And if if you do have a different opinion, we'd love to hear from you. You know, write into us info at fueltravel dot com, or hit us up on Twitter at fueltravel. We we love discussion. We love learning. When we're we're humble enough to understand that, you know, opinions should and, and will change over time with more information. Just just you know, this face mask thing is just another thing. But but be open-minded and don't just buy into the rhetoric that's being spouted out there. Go do your own research and, and figure it out for yourself. Have your own opinion and let, then let's have a discussion. But let's do it civilly and, and respectfully as well. So with that said, if you want the notes to today's show, if you want to get all the data, see these infographics that Pete was talking about, the best place is to go to fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 157. And I can't believe we're already at episode 157, guys. That is crazy. Craziness. We're really going to have to think about what we're going to do for episode 200. Yeah, it'll be here before you know it. For sure. The bicentenary. That'll be years, not episodes. I don't know what you'd call <laughs> 200. Sesquicentennial? That's, is that 300? Yeah, I don't know. Quit making stuff up, Pete. No, I know because there's <laughs> the sesquicentennial state park between Myrtle yes. Beach and Columbia. Yes. <laughs> this is true. All righty, Pete, if they want to learn more about you, how can they do that? They can do that on Twitter at P DeMaio, P D I M A I O. And Melissa. I'm on Twitter at M A Kavanaugh, M A K A V A N A G H, or on LinkedIn. All right, go practice your beep boops on the clarinet. Okay. And Phil. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at pfariska, P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. You can find me at Stuart Butler, either on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. And uh, fueltravel.com is the mothership where you can get all 157 episodes of this podcast, all our great studies, and anything else that we've been putting out there as propaganda to try to save the industry from this terrible situation. And 
Until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs>